You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Today's teaching text is from Philippians 4, 6-7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, and I just thank you for our band who comes here to lead us in worship each week, uh, who gives up their time and their talents. and Lord, I just thank you that you are here. We've already had a chance just to experience your presence, to glorify your name. I thank you for each person who is sitting here to receive the word. We thank you for giving us the word, which is active and living and sharper than a two-edged sword. And I pray right now, the Holy Spirit, that you would work in and through this time for our good and your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Your son might not make it. But this is the only option that we have. These are the words that were spoken to me and my wife by the surgeon at St. Bernard's in the ER. What started as this routine procedure had led to uncontrollable bleeding, and now our eight-day-old son, Wyatt, was needing emergency surgery. So reluctantly, we handed our child over to the doctors and nurses, and we went into the waiting room where with tears in our eyes, we buried our faces into our hands And as the TV entertained itself, we just began to pray. And our response is not unique. Uh, Whether you are rich or poor, whether you are educated or uneducated, whether you consider yourself to be religious or non-religious, whether you're a Protestant pastor like me leading a church or a Muslim praying and facing Mecca, or even a staunch atheist who maybe has just come to the end of their rope and doesn't know what else to do, nearly all people from all different backgrounds and all different beliefs at one time or another will pray. According to the Gallup poll, more people will pray this week than will exercise, drive a car, have sex, or go to work. In America, 9 out of 10 people pray regularly, and 3 out of 4 claim to pray every day. And so though church attendance is in rapid decline in America, prayer doesn't really seem to be going anywhere. Even Bruce Springsteen, in the twilight of his career, a tried-and-true rock star, recently released a -a two-and-a-half-hour concert on Netflix, which is amazing, by the way. That could go be your Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening. But at the end of the concert, he says, Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name, and then continues to pray this prayer right off the lips of Jesus over the adoring crowd. This is why Tyler Staten says this, from primitive people to enlightened Westerners, from African tribes to the American suburbs, whether you're a touring musician or a stay-at-home mom, an atheist, an atheist or creationist, they are all praying. Everybody prays, everybody always has, and there is no end in sight. So there we are in the hospital waiting room. We're now joined by our parents and pastors, and we're sitting together in prayer when suddenly the doctor walks in and we receive news that the surgery was a success. Within 24 hours later, we were released from the hospital, and on our drive home, I couldn't help but think about 
the power of prayer and the role that it's already played in the life of my son. Just seven months earlier, uh, we were at the doctor and my wife's doctor came in and he said, I've got some bad news for you. Your son, uh, he's in a compromised position within the womb and he's not going to be born fully developed. He's going to be born actually probably 15 to 25 weeks early. Not even sure he's going to make it, but if he does make it, he's not going to be whole. He's not going to be complete. And so we immediately went to our missional community. Uh, We went to our family, our friends, and we said, please pray that somehow this baby will move within in Megan's womb. And so we're sent to a specialist in Little Rock who was supposed to take over the pregnancy at this point because it was considered a high-risk pregnancy. And they do another ultra scan, and then he comes into the room, and he, he looks, and he's perplexed, and he says, I've got this scan from St. Bernard's, and I've got this new scan. And he says, I don't get it. Are y'all praying, people? Because I don't know what has happened, but this baby has moved and is in a perfect position to go full term. And so twice, within a short amount of time, we saw the power of prayer in Wyatt's life. And I know that as I share that, some of you have your doubts. And maybe even some of you are sitting here and you're like, of course that's how your story ends. This is a sermon series on prayer. And so, of course, you pulled a couple random stories from your life or something seemed to happen that was halfway positive after you prayed. And maybe even as I was telling the story, because you knew where the story was going to end, you found yourself distracted by a similar story where you have prayed and you did not get the results that you were looking for. Times where you prayed for something just like that, but it did not end with a happy ever after ending. And therefore, as a result, maybe you sit here and you wonder, well, what's so special about you? I mean, why did God answer your prayers and not answer my prayers? Does God love you more than he loves me? Are you holier than I am? Or have you somehow cracked the code and figure out how to pray in a way that I haven't figured out? And besides, like when I read the Bible, I don't really understand this anyway, because isn't God sovereign over all things? And isn't he just going to do whatever he wants to do no matter what? And behind those questions really is this very simple and yet profound question that all of us will wrestle with at one point or another. And here's the question. Do my prayers actually matter? Do my prayers matter to God And do they matter to the world? And according to Jesus and the writers of the scripture, the answer to that question is a resounding yes. That your prayers matter to God and your prayers matter in the world. And you see, because Jesus' disciples knew this was true, think about this, of all of the things they could have asked Jesus to teach them, when they come to Jesus, they don't say, teach us how to raise the dead, like I would have liked to know how to do that. They don't say, teach us how to cast out demons or to heal the sick or perform miracles. But in Luke 11, because they knew how powerful prayer was, even in the life of Jesus, of all the things they could have asked for, they said, Jesus, please teach us how to pray. And that's the title for this series. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at Jesus' response to his disciples uh, by looking line by line what has historically been referred to as the Lord's Prayer. But before we do that, as a way of introduction to this series, I want to look at one of the most straightforward teachings in all of the Bible on prayer. So if you look back with me, uh, look at Philippians chapter 4. And just to set the context for you, the Apostle Paul has been arrested because of preaching the gospel. He has been stripped. He has been beaten. He has had his ankles shackled to the feet. He is alone, and he knows that death is inevitable. His life has literally fallen apart as a result of choosing to follow Jesus. And rather than sitting in self-pity or saying, why is me? He uses his time to write a letter to the church of Philippi who also was going through their own struggles and hardships. And he chooses to try to encourage them with these words. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything. 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice how, according to Paul, a praying life leads to a non-anxious life. Again, when we pray, quote, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The Greek word that Paul uses here for guard is the Greek word phureo. Can you say that with me? Phureo. Okay, to the two of you that actually tried that, well done. Did you try it, Trevor? Did you say it? Okay, you said it, phureo. Very good. Phureo is a military term. It literally means to guard or to protect. And by using this word, what Paul is implying, think about this. When you pray, the peace of God is going to stand on duty and protect you. Like a soldier, God's peace will keep you from becoming overcome by the anxiety that, uh, that threatens to destroy your life. Guys, like this is an incredible promise, Right here in the scripture, it's a promise to you and it's a promise to me. But guess what? We don't buy it, do we? And the reason I know we don't buy it is because over the years, though I've had a lot of conversations with people who would say that anxiety is a soundtrack to their life, I have had very few conversations with people who tell me they are living with a transcendent peace that Paul talks about here. And if that is where you are this morning, like, listen, no judgment from me, like even as a pastor, because I often try to control the uncontrollable. I am often more familiar with anxiety than I am peace. Yesterday, I wasn't feeling great. I started getting a headache. I was feeling fatigued. And I, I found myself getting anxious. I'm like, oh no, what if I'm getting sick? This morning, as I'm trying to prepare my heart to preach this sermon, I begin to think about how there's a lot of people who I knew were going to be out of town this week because they're traveling before school starts. And I thought, what if we have a little crowd? And then what if a guest comes and they look and they're like, oh, this church is, is weak or lame or whatever else. And then they decide not to come back. And then what does that mean about me as a pastor, as a preacher? And so within the last 24 hours, like I am aware of anxiety in my own heart. And my guess is if you can be honest, the same is true for many of you. And if that is where you are, if like me, you struggle with anxiety, again, the Apostle Paul says to you, and he says to me this, if you want to get rid of anxiety, if you want to live a life of unshakable, transcendent peace, no matter what season you find yourself in, listen, more than you need new information, more than you need a New York Times bestselling book, more than you need a therapist or a day at the spa or a massage or a weekend getaway or just for a whole different set of circumstances, as good as all of those things might be. He says, if you want to live with the peace that looks so crazy to the world that it defies all human logic, what you need more than anything is simply to pray. And yet so often we don't. Why? Well, I think what many of us would say and the answer we'd give is the reason I don't pray is I'm just so busy. I mean, after all, I have kids to raise, a job to work, bills to pay, wealth to build, errands to run, and all that takes time, especially if I'm going to be successful and pursue the American dream, which I've been told is what I really need to be happy. On top of that, ever since the release of the iPhone in 2007, millions of people now spend a massive amount of time scrolling through social media, watching TikTok videos, getting into political arguments with complete and total strangers, and sending poop emojis. And so we are now not only busier than ever, but we're also more distracted than ever. And I think for many of us, we'd say, that's the reason I don't pray. However, if you think about it, most of us still spend our time eating at least 21 meals a week. 
We sleep, we exercise with some level of consistency and find time to watch Stranger Things. And all of those things take significantly more time than prayer does. Especially if you watch the last season of Stranger Things. Like every episode is like two hours long. And so even think about this. In an overly busy, distracted society, people still make time for what matters to them the most. And so the question we need to be asking is, what's the real reason I'm not praying? Like, what's the real reason? Below all the surface level excuses that we make, what's the real reason that I have not personally cultivated a life of prayer despite all of the promises from God that prayer gives me? And I think the answer is this. For many of us, the reason we don't pray is rather than prayer relieving our anxieties, like Paul says it will in Philippians 4, when we try to pray, it gets set to a whole new set of anxieties. It gives rise to a whole set of anxieties that actually keep us from pursuing a life of prayer and therefore experiencing a life of peace. And so if you're taking notes, I think the first form of anxiety that prayer produces in many of us is what I would refer to as outcome anxiety. The question around outcome outcome anxiety is just this. Does prayer actually work? Like, does prayer actually make a difference in my life and the world around me? You see, because secularism is now the air we breathe, more and more people are finding it harder and harder to believe that God actually wants to be involved in the details of your life and that the miracles we see in the Bible are still miracles that can be performed today. We've just evolved beyond our need for that because of technology and science. I mean, sure, prayer can make you feel better, but it can in no way bend reality or change the course of human history. On top of that, not only are we influenced by secularism, but honestly, a lot of us have stories where we have prayed and our prayers have ended in great disappointment. As I said earlier, a lot of us could point to times where we have prayed by faith and yet nothing happened. Times where God did not show up in the way that we hoped he would show up. Times where we prayed for things and nothing happened. The marriage didn't get better. The person wasn't healed. The family member wasn't saved. And therefore, as a result of the disappointment, we say, I'm not going to do that again. Like I tried this whole thing, God, of pushing my chips in on you, of trusting in you. And as a result, my heart was broken. I was left with nothing but disappointment as a result. When it comes to prayer, we experience outcome anxiety. As most of you know, I am a, uh, I serve as a chaplain at Allen Engineering. I work there a few hours a week where I basically just go around and try to offer the best counseling and care that I can to the workers uh, there um, as needs arise. And I think it was about nine months ago, there was a uh, woman that came to me and said that her uh, her uh, daughter uh, had a baby. It was premature. Um, it was very sick. And so she asked, would you please pray that God would heal this baby? I said, yeah. So I joined this woman along with her coworkers and family and friends and prayed that God would heal this little girl. And yet after three surgeries and lots of treatment, I found myself last month standing beside her casket and holding this grandmother. She cried in my arms. And in just a few weeks, I'm going to talk about unanswered prayer and what do we do with unanswered prayer. But for now, I just want to address the elephant in the room that we all have stories of unanswered prayer. Of times where we have gone to God with faith and rather than getting the miracle, we were met with silence. And silence is lonely. Silence is scary. And it leads many of us, therefore, to living with outcome anxiety. Another reason I think that we experience anxiety whenever we pray is because of personal anxiety. And so we've all heard the prayer warrior who uses these big theological words when they pray. And we're like, I could never pray like that. Like, I just don't know how to pray. Or maybe for some of you, you experience anxiety, not because of a lack of competence, like I don't know how to pray, but your anxiety is rooted in a lack of what you see as character. I'm not good enough to pray. And so like, yeah, sure, I know I should pray, but, but you have any idea how sinful I am? 
Like, I still struggle with lust. I looked at porn this past week. I still have addiction in my life. I still spend too much time looking at my iPhone or binging Netflix, and I do reading my Bible, and then I yell at my kids, or I don't tithe to the church. I mean, we, we think of this whole list of things and reasons why there's no way that we could just walk into the presence of God with confidence. And so as a result, out of, out of fear of being vulnerable before God, we kind of keep him at an arm's length, and we just don't pray. And this leads to, I would say, kind of the final form of anxiety that many of us experience when we pray, and it's what I would refer to as a God anxiety. For many of us, the reason that we struggle with prayer is not because we don't know how to pray, it's just because we don't know who we are praying to. For some of you, you have a false view of God. You are projecting onto your heavenly father the imperfections of your earthly father. And therefore, rather than truly believing that God is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children, you instead see God as aloof or cold or distant or maybe as like the celestial police officer who who is just like waiting for you to break the law so that he can bust you. Or maybe some of you have done the math and you're like, there are 7.8 billion people on the planet. 7.8 billion, like I'm pretty sure the God of the universe is not concerned about little old me in little bitty Paragold, Arkansas. Uh, How many of you in here have ever seen the movie Her? Anybody even heard of the movie Her besides me? Anybody? You can raise your hand. Two people. Wow, I've got to find movies that you guys actually watch to use as examples. Um, This was a movie that came out years ago starring Walking Phoenix, and it was about a man who fell in love with his phone. And we look at that, like when it came out, we're like, (laughs) that's so ridiculous. Someone falling in love with their phone. Who would ever? It's like, this guy sleeps with his phone? Are you kidding me? Nobody would do that. Like now, it's like, wow, not so uh, inaccurate. But there's this scene where he's talking to his phone. He can't go anywhere without his phone. He touches his phone more than he touches anybody else or anything else. And he's in bed and he says, how many other people are you having this kind of conversation with right now? And the phone says, 613. And he was crushed. He was like, oh, I thought I was the only one. I thought I was special. And maybe for some of you, that's the way you relate to God. You think, man, there are so many other people out there that I know God is having a conversation with right now, and they are so much more important than me. There is no way that he could be good enough or gracious enough or loving enough or merciful enough to ever give me his undivided attention. And so you just don't pray. You need to know today that your image of God more than anything else will determine the degree of intimacy and power in your prayer life. And so I just want to ask you before we go any further, how do you view God? Let me just ask you this, like, what kind of mood do you think God is in when you approach him? I talked about this being kind of silly several months ago, but like I said that God is much more like the dog, you know, your dog that like greets you at the door with excitement than he is the cat. Some of us, we honestly think that God is just like, okay, I'm going to come pray to you. Like, I really know you hate people and you're really busy. So I'll try to make this really fast. Like, what is your view of God? Some of us struggle to pray because we have outcome anxiety. You are afraid to put yourself on the line to ever trust God like you did back then when he didn't come through. Some of us have personal anxiety. You just don't believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is enough to cover your sin so that you can now walk into the presence of a holy God. Some of us have God anxiety. He's too busy. He's too weak. He's too indifferent. He's just too distant. There's no way that he could possibly ever care about my prayers. And if that is where you are, I want you to listen to me very carefully. If this series on prayer is going to go from just being another series, just another thing we did, if it's going to go from that to actually changing your life, 
If you're actually going to cultivate a life of prayer, then the first thing you have to do is be honest about the fears that you have around prayer. This is step number one in cultivating a powerful, healthy prayer life. It is going to God and is being honest about the fears that you have around prayer, the reasons why you do not take him seriously when he says to cultivate a life of prayer. And I, I know that this is scary, but listen, guys, I truly believe that if we will do this, if we'll be honest about whatever is in our heart before God, that on the other side of those fears, what some of you are going to discover is a level of joy and power and intimacy that is deeper and fuller than you could ever imagine. And if you're like, Jared, there's no way that I can do this. Like, I can't be honest with God about what's going on inside of me. Like, if I told God what I really thought, what I really was feeling, he would strike me dead. Well, let's just test that theory. Think about your boy David for a minute. Remember David, slayed Goliath. Uh, you know he was one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. Jesus ascended down through his uh, his line. I mean, he was uh, said in the Bible that David was a man after God's own heart. Consider two of his prayers. First one, Psalm twenty-seven. He says, "One thing have I desired, Lord, to behold your beauty in the temple. Just one thing have I desired, and that's it." Psalm one thirty-seven. When talking about his enemies, here's his prayer. Dash the heads of their infants against the rocks, O Lord. Well, apparently there was more than just one thing David desired in his life. He had some good desires and he had some bad desires, but whatever was in his heart, he took the request to God and he was honest about those things. And here's what's amazing to me. Think about this. Despite the fact that David's prayers and a lot of the other prayers in the Psalms are completely against the nature of God as revealed in Christ, God lets them be recorded in the scriptures. Why? Because they're honest. And that's what makes them exemplary. Tyler Staten says this way better than I could say. He says, God is looking for relationships, not well-prepared speeches spoken from perfect motives. When it comes to prayer, God is not grading essays. He's talking to his children. If God can delight in prayers as dysfunctional as the ones wedged into the middle of our Bible, talking about the Psalms, he can certainly handle our prayers without having to clean them up first. Read the scriptures cover to cover and what will you find? That when it comes to prayer, God much prefers the rough draft typos and rants to the polished and edited version. C.S. Lewis said something very similar when talking about prayer. He says, lay before God what is in you, not what ought to be in you. Or as I've said before, prayer is a place not to be good, it's a place to be honest. And so if you're going to cultivate a powerful life of prayer, you've got to tell the truth, guys. You've got to be honest about what's really going on in your heart. And then secondly, because a powerful prayer life is cultivated not through performance, but through practice, let me encourage you to do this. Just pray what you've got. That's the title of my sermon today, by the way. Just pray what you've got. If your heart is breaking, pray what you've got. If you're filled with deep doubt and disappointment, just pray what you've got. If life is really good right now, great, fantastic. Pray what you've got. If you're confused, if you're frustrated, if you're scared, pray what you've got. If you don't have a lot of faith, that's okay. Just pray what you've got. If you can't go pray for an hour tomorrow morning, that's okay. Pray what you've got and trust that if you do, if you will keep showing up and you will pray whatever you have, wherever you are, know that God will meet you there and he will respond. And I think there's no better example of this than Susanna Wesley. 
I've shared this before, but Susanna Wesley is the mother of John and Charles Wesley, who are considered uh, by all to be saints in church history. And one of the things we learn about Susanna is that great things happen when we choose to pray what we've got wherever we are. Susanna, we know, was married to a stubborn pastor who was nearly impossible to get along with. They had 19 children, nine of which were buried when they were small. So clearly this is a woman right here who knew heartache and she knew suffering. Because of his ministry, Susanna's husband was constantly uh, gone for long stretches of time, leaving Susanna to raise the children on her own with little to no food. Uh, One of the kids in their home was unable to walk. She herself was constantly sick. The family experienced an incredible financial strain. They were plagued by debt, so much so that her husband actually went to jail on numerous occasions because he couldn't pay the debts. The family had two different houses that were burnt to the ground. Twice they lost everything. One of the times it's believed that their house burnt to the ground because one of the church members hated her uh, husband's preaching so much. So I'm just going to burn the house down. At another point in their life, someone killed their family dog, just to be mean, and then slit all of their cows udder so they couldn't have any milk to drink. Keep in mind, all of this happened essentially while she was functioning as a single mom. Homeschooling her kids, cooking, cleaning, working on the farm, and making clothes. And here's what's crazy. In the craziness and the chaos of her life, rather than making excuses for why she could not find any time to pray, she would go to her kitchen, she would throw an apron over her head, and she'd say, kids, when the apron's over my head, don't talk to me because I'm talking to God. And so in this house where her children were dying in infancy, while other kids were screaming and making messes and arguing and fighting in a world where her husband is constantly gone, and when he is gone, he's arguing with her, in a world where people are slashing their udders and burning their possessions, her kitchen becomes a holy place. She puts an apron over her head, and she just begins to pray what she had whenever or wherever she could. And though I'm sure there are many days in her life where she thought, man, nothing significant is happening, this is not working, She continued to pray, and not only would God sustain her through the tragedies of her life, but she would go on to raise two of the greatest revivalists in church history, all from underneath an apron. John Wesley went on to facilitate and save England from a revolution that was similar to the Revolutionary War, or the French Revolution. During uh, uh, his lifetime, by the way, he would preach to millions of people. When he was 70, he was still preaching to crowds of 30,000 with no microphone. His brother was kind of the Hillsong or the Maverick City music of the day. He actually wrote over 9,000 hymns, many of which we still sing today. And when the Wesley brothers were once asked, who has had the biggest impact on your life? Without any hesitancy, they said, our mom. And so just pray what you've got. And lastly, I would just say, pray with consistency. Even if you don't feel like anything is happening, like Susanna, pray with consistency. Even if it feels boring and unproductive and significant, just keep praying. Guys, it is so important that you hear this. Please listen. We want, and I understand this, especially in our culture with social media, we really want everything to be amazing all the time. But if everything is always amazing all the time, it's probably because you're on heroin. Okay? And I'm not trying to make light of that. I know we have people in the room who are struggling with drug addiction. I just want to make it clear. Like when you're sober, like real life doesn't work that way. It's not always amazing. Like real life is hard and difficult and it's normal and it's mundane and it's boring and it's seemingly insignificant. And the same is true when it comes to prayer. 
And so please hear this. If you don't hear anything else to say, hear this. If you're going to cultivate a life of prayer, you need to know this. Consistency always trumps intensity. Consistency is always greater than intensity. We love intensity. We love big and fast and famous and amazing. But listen, intensity does not change your life. Consistency is what changes your life. And we could look at all kinds of of examples of that. I was thinking... um, of the movie Shawshank Redemption. Anybody in here seen Shawshank Redemption? Okay. Good. It is a lot better movie than her. Uh, but you remember, right? Andy Dufresne, he was, uh, he was, he was, he's serving time for a murder he didn't commit. And eventually, right? What happens? He breaks free. He gets free. And it happens how? He gets a little pickaxe and night by night, little by little, He just consistently chips away. And because of the consistency, it eventually leads to a breakthrough. And I believe that the same is true when it comes to prayer. So be honest, pray what you've got, and pray with consistency. Even if it doesn't seem like anything is happening, just stay at it. And at the end of the day, remember this, and we're almost done, that prayer is not about religious activity. It's about relational intimacy. It is about building a healthy, intimate, life-giving relationship with the God who is the source of all that is good and beautiful and true. And this is ultimately what Paul is getting at in Philippians 4. Again, if you look with me one last time, we're done. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. And if you do, the transcendent peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We read that and we're like, man, that sounds like an empty promise from a crazy man who is clearly out of touch with reality. And that is because we forget to read verse 5, which I intentionally skipped over earlier. In verse 5, before he makes his promise about prayer and peace, look what he says. He says, the Lord is near. That's where peace comes from. It comes from knowing that despite what the culture tells you, despite what Satan tells you, despite what the voices in your head tell you, that God is actually more near to you than even the skin on your body. He is not aloof. He is not distant. He is here. And guys, listen, the way, the way that you become aware of the presence of God is through prayer, which therefore will then lead you to peace, no matter what season you're in. With that, I'm going to invite uh, our team that's preparing communion to come forward and our band, if they will, to come forward. And, and here's what I want you to think about before we start moving around too much and checking our phones and see who texts us and all that kind of stuff. Like, As you come and partake of communion today, I want you to remember that the reason that you're able to enter into the presence of God is because of what Jesus has accomplished for you on the cross. Remember on the cross when Jesus says, it is finished, what happened? The Bible tells us that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. It was God's way of saying that I have now worked my way to you. I have provided a way for anybody, anywhere to experience my presence. You can experience the presence of God right here. Guys, you can experience the presence of God in prison. Like the Apostle Paul, when you've lost everything. And you can have peace as a result. And so be reminded that that's not because like some of you are more holy than others or some of you are better than others. It's all because of what Jesus has accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. And so today, remember that reality. Ask God as you partake of this communion to make you more aware of his presence. Remember as you take the bread that it represents the perfect life of Jesus, that he lived on your behalf, and as we dip it in the juice, it represents his blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. 
You can take communion up here with the gluten-free bread and the, and the juice. We also have some uh, cups in the back if you'd rather partake of that way. If you are uh, here and you're a Christian, even if you're not a member of our church, you're welcome to this. This is a very, very special, very sacred moment, and we don't want to turn away anybody who's placed their trust in Jesus from the table. If you're here and you've not trusted in Jesus, maybe you have religion, but you don't have a relationship with him. Maybe you try to give him your afterlife, but not this life. Rather than receiving communion, I pray that you would receive Christ today. Surrender your life to him. And if you're like, I don't have a clue what that looks like, talk with somebody here you came with and maybe brought you. Come talk with me. I would love to connect with you and help you with next steps. With that, let's stand together. I'll pray. And then when you're ready, you can take communion and we'll sing one final song together.